Good evening. My name is Noelin. I'm a member here, and I'll be reading us someone's scripture passage for tonight from Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verses 11 through chapter 6, verse, uh, chapter 6, verses 12. If you'd like a copy of the Bible, we have uh, the blue copies in the pews. Feel free to grab one and keep it as a gift to you. Again, I'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through chapter 6, verses 12. About this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of, of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nolan. Well, uh, good evening, Doxology. It is good to be with you. And if you are new with us, a warm welcome to you. My name is Steve. Really glad you're here. And uh, congratulations because you chose to come on a Sunday where I think we've looked at the heaviest passage that we've ever looked at as a church since we started about two years ago. And uh, it's interesting because as John and I were mapping out the sermon series for Hebrews a couple months ago, you know, we looked at other churches to see, you know, how did they break, break, break up Hebrews to find inspiration, and there was a conspicuous absence of Hebrews 6 on a lot of their preaching series, and so maybe it's something they know that we don't, I don't know, uh, but, you know, one of our convictions here, because uh, we see it in Christ himself, is that uh, all of God's word, uh, especially the hard parts often, are what God uses to make us more complete and joyful people. And so we're going to look at it. And so what, what's helpful as we frame this passage up is it shouldn't surprise you that we've come upon something like this, right? Because we've seen since day one that Hebrews is about it's draw near to Christ, your present help. And as you do it, persevere, i.e. don't assume you won't fall away from the faith. And so that's why we see a passage like this. And within its immediate context, uh, first, if you weren't here last week, I don't know that I've ever said this before, but I really encourage you to go back and listen to last week because it's all about the glory and the beauty of Christ who helps you because you need that passage in chapter 5 to enter into chapter 6 
uh, well, and, but more immediately in this context in chapter 6, essentially what's helpful to ha- how to read this passage, it's, it's all about maturity. Uh, the author wants us to persevere in the faith by becoming more mature people. That's what this is about. And, you know, when I was back in high school, uh, my wrestling coach was what you could say, you could call him a, an intense man. Uh, he wasn't very warm. And uh, over Christmas break, I was traveling with my family, and so I wasn't able to make it to some of the wrestling commitments that I had to do with the team. And so, you know, we're out with extended family. I remember I looked at my mom, I think it was like the day before Christmas Eve, I said, hey, mom, can you call Coach Mayori and tell him for me that I can't make it to practice tomorrow morning, and I can't make it to this other thing the team is doing? And she goes, no, you call him. And I go, but he's scary. <laughs> and she goes, Stephen. <laughs> You know, you're in trouble when your mom calls you by your full name. She goes, you're not a little boy anymore. You're, you're growing to be a man. And as an adult, you need to do things that challenge you. And what was she doing there? She, she was being a good parent, right? Because what a good parent does is they help their kid mature by enabling them to make hard decisions and process things on their own without their parents' help. You know, if you're in your 20s and 30s and your mom is still making your doctor's appointments for you and, you know, reminding you of all the important things you need to do, then that's, well, uh, yeah, I'll just leave it there. So, (laughs) maturity is important, okay, and so that's what the author wants us to do as followers of Jesus. All right, so here's the the three things that, that we'll look at in this passage. First, we'll look at the problem of immaturity. Number two, the marks of maturity. And then number three, the necessity of maturity. Why is it necessary that we mature? And that's that warning passage there in verses four to six. So first, the problem of immaturity. Uh, Number two, the marks of maturity. How do we know we're maturing? And then number three, uh, the necessity of maturity. So first, uh, number one, the problem of immaturity. So let's start at verse 11, chapter five. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. You can translate that phrase dull of hearing as lazy of hearing, So what he's saying, he's pausing, you know, he's been going on this, you know, beautiful soliloquy about the wonder of Christ, but then he, it's as if he slams on the brakes here in chapter 5, verse 11, he says, I don't think it does me any good to keep talking about the riches of Christ because you're lazy of hearing. You're just like, you're sitting here in church and you're like, yeah, when can we go to brunch? Or maybe for us for an evening service, when can I get out of here and go to dinner? Like, you just don't even want to hear about it. And then he continues, for though by this time you ought to be teachers— And there he's not referring to being a seminary teacher, a pastor, just in some way, shape, or form, you should be helping other people in their spiritual journey. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, right? So just like an infant needs milk, not solid food. And uh, one of the things I love about our church is that we have uh, a number of more, we have a lot more kids here, you know, than we did a year and a half to two years ago. And it's a good thing for an infant to drink milk, you know. So it would be odd if you looked in the back and you saw Andrew Workman just sipping on a baby bottle, right, filled with milk next to his daughter Kate. That would be odd because there are things that are normal and good for an infant to do that would be abhorrent if you saw in an adult. You know, so what would you think if you go to your local Trader Joe's this week and you find me on the ground screaming in one of the aisles, Right? Or you're out on a walk with one of your friends, and every five minutes they want you to pick them up and give them a piggyback because their feet get tired. Right? Like those things are, are normal to find in a little kid. You've seen an adult, you're like, I'm going to call the police. Okay? But 
that's what the author is seeing here is he's, he knows this congregation. He's saying, spiritually speaking, you should be 30-year-olds or you should at least be 18-year-olds, but by choice, you're infants, okay? You're toddlers. And what's noteworthy here is uh, the author assumes that every follower of Jesus can mature and needs to mature, okay? Because I think sometimes we, when we hear these things about spiritual maturity, we, we tend to think, well, yeah, I know people, they just love theology and everything about their life is centered on Jesus, but, but that's because they're made of different stock, right? They're just like, a, I'm not that type of person. But here what the author is saying is they're just like any toddler can mature, you know, any believer can mature, but also every believer needs to mature, okay? Because this isn't just a matter of learning new facts or learning new trivia from the Bible. This is a matter of life and death. Because just like a plant, if it doesn't keep maturing, it will die. If you don't keep maturing as a believer, the implication, we'll see this later, is that you'll, you'll literally fall away from Jesus Christ. And so every believer uh, needs to mature and, and can mature. The Spirit empowers us to do it. And so as we move forward, I think what will be really helpful is for all of us, and I think especially those of us who've grown up in the church, uh, those of us who have taken a lot of classes, especially me, who's a pastor and has been to seminary, um, for every single one of us to assume that we're immature and that we need to grow. So I think for those of us who've been in the faith for a long time, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm mature. Like, I know way more of the scriptures than other people, but you, you don't want to be that intern at the office, right, who shows up and they think they can't learn anything from anyone else who's been there longer, Right, so we, we want to exercise humility as believers and see, okay, how can all of us mature here? Because it, it's so serious, and God invites us into joy. So that, that's the first thing, is this problem of immaturity, this unwillingness or this lack of desire to grow. All of us need to mature. Okay, so let's just start baseline. All of us need to look at where can we grow here. So number two, um, if we assume we're all immature in some way, what are the marks of maturity? Okay, like what are the things that we can look for in our own lives to see, okay, am I maturing as a believer? A uh, number of things here. Let's just distill it to a few things. Uh, so the first is a thirst for the Word of God. Okay, a thirst for the Word of God. We see it all throughout. So first we see in verse 12, he's saying, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. The oracles of God are, it's God's revelation. Okay, so in the scriptures, i.e., like, you care about it so little that you forget it every time you hear about it. So that's why we need to keep teaching you the same things over and over. And then in verse 13, he writes, everyone who lives on milk, i.e. the immature people, are unskilled in the word of righteousness, i.e. you're not growing in your ability to understand and interpret and apply the scriptures. And then verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, let's leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So what's going on there? There's a lot of debate, and a lot of it depends on is he, mainly is he writing to Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians. Um, I've made an executive decision not to, like, give you all the debates on what exactly he's talking about, mainly so we have time to go over the warning passage um, in this section. So if you have questions about that, feel free to ask me later. But here's, in essence, what he's saying there in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 is he's saying the immature believer is the one who learns, like, the, the central things about the Christian faith, right? So that you can only enter the kingdom of God, not by how good you are, but by Christ alone, 
right, that Christ will return to renew the earth and, and judge all of creation, right, those basic things. The immature Christian is the one who, once you've learned those things, you settle. Like, you don't really care about learning other things here. And so when he says, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, he's not saying the elementary doctrine of Christ are bad. In fact, they're, they're necessary. But the point here is, once you embrace them, now build on that foundation by learning more and more things in the Word of God and applying it to your life. And so here, just the question is, wherever you are, whether you aren't a believer, um, whether you just started following Jesus a couple months ago or 30 years ago, is there in you a thirst to read understand and apply the word of God. And first, in, as an encouragement, there are so many of you in this church that do do that. Uh, I've learned so m- more than you guys realize and how to treasure God's word. And I, I, I was telling someone earlier, I love the fact that there are a lot of people here where if, whether it's me or a different preacher up here, in their sermons were to mainly care about okay, entertainment or being liked or just talking about whatever they want to talk about rather than doing nothing more or less than just clarifying and amplifying what's in the scriptures, y'all would tackle them off the stage. And I love that, okay? But because we all want to submit ourselves to this passage, we all need to ask these kinds of questions. Like, are you at least growing in your desire and disciplines of reading the scriptures every day and then applying them to your relationships and your work? Do you want to learn deeper and deeper things about God's word? And when it comes to attending worship service, is worship service you make a priority to come to on the weekends, or is it something you just kind of push off to the side if you're tired or if you've had a busy weekend? Because a sign of maturity is someone who's actually thirsting for the word of God, and they can't get enough of it. And this isn't just a matter of learning new facts. It's because the more we immerse ourselves in the word of God, the more you begin to know and resemble your magnificent Redeemer and are actually able to then better serve and come alongside others in your life. Because that's the first thing that we should look at. You know, are you, do you thirst for the Word of God you know, at the Sunday service in your own private life and so forth? That, that's the first thing. Um, number two is, do you make a point to engage, do you make a point to pursue presence with God's people? Uh, so where do we see that? We say that in, let's see, it's in verse 10. And here in this section, he's encouraging them on why he's so assured of some people of their maturity in the congregation. He says, for God is not unjust, this is chapter 6, verse 10, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. It's interesting. The love you've shown for his name, how have you displayed love for God? In serving the saints. So there's a thick connection here between loving God and loving his people. You can't separate the two. And this was one of the hardest lessons for me growing up because I grew up in the church, and I'll be honest, growing up, I did not like church people very much. Like, can I say that? Um, I mean, a lot of it just had to do right, with my own hypocrisies and arrogance, but I just, I didn't feel like I clicked with them very much. And, but then I started to read passages like this. I started to read, I mean, passages all over the New Testament, um, we looked at John 21 over Easter, right, where Jesus is with Peter, and he says, you know, do you love me? And Peter says, you know that I love you. And immediately, what does Jesus do? He ties it to love for his people. He says, okay, then love my people. Feed my sheep. And so to say things like, well, I love Jesus or I love God, but I just don't really care that much about the church is a contradiction in terms, you know, at least how, at least how Christ defines it. And so for you, as you think about maturing, 
one of the ways that you know you're maturing, i.e., you know, not falling away, is that you, there's a desire in you to spend more and more time with God's people. You know, so I would just look at, as you look at your week, ask questions like, am I wanting to give, to spend more weekends and evenings with the people of God? Or am I just content with having as little contact with the people of God as possible? Right? I, for the love, I hope you have friends outside of the church. <laughs> okay, you need that. Um, but there's this thick connection here between love for God and then love for his people. Okay, so that, that's the second thing. Are you growing and wanting to be in the presence of God's people? Um, these are hard, right? But th- these, for, these are for good. And then uh, number three, what's the third mark of maturity that we see? And we see this by how the author bookends the passage. Uh, so look in, again, in verse 11. Say at the end of verse 11, chapter 5, he says, I can't even go further into this about Jesus since you become lazy, dull, or lazy of hearing. Right? And then how does he end the section in uh, verse 11 of chapter 6? We desire each of you to show the same earnestness, right? The opposite of laziness. Show the same zeal or earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end that you may not be sluggish. So there's this thread throughout of not being lazy. And then he says, how does he close? But imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And in chapter 11, one of the most famous chapters in Hebrews, the the hall of faith is how some people uh, call it. Uh, The author goes through all these people who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And the common denominator with all these people, you know, uh, Abraham, Sarah, and so forth, all all these people that are in chapter 11 are because their devotion to God was so intense, they became aliens or strangers to everybody around them. Okay, and so as we think about not being lazy, but imitators of those people, so think about it this way. What's, what's one of the least alien or least strange thing for somebody to see in you that doesn't set you apart compared to others around you? And the answer is a laziness about spiritual matters. Okay, from the beginning of human history, like what's united human beings is we are extremely lazy about eternal things. We just don't care about it very much. We care we're driven a lot more by our immediate appetites. Right, and so one of the ways that we actually stand out and show that we mature is there's a spiritual zeal about eternal things. And when I say, you know, human beings across the board are lazy about spiritual matters, that's not mockery. I put myself in that camp. The center of gravity of all of our hearts is drift towards laziness about eternal things. But what the author is getting at here is how do you know you're not, not immature? Uh, how do you know that you're maturing? Is would people describe you as pretty zealous about spiritual things? And this should be provoking, especially for those of us who worry about you know being quote unquote a fanatic to those of us in our in our lives. Now it depends on what you mean by fanatic. If by fanatic you mean impatient, not willing to listen, uh, condemning everybody around you, yeah, don't be a fanatic. But that comes from following Jesus less, not more, right? The more you become a fanatic about Jesus, the more patient you become, the more gentle you become. And so as you think about, you know, how do you, how do you see yourself? How do you want others to perceive you? And I mean, if I may be so bold, I think there's nothing worse than for somebody to look at your life or my life and think, Jesus just doesn't seem that exciting to that person. You know, that person seems kind of bored with Jesus, or they don't really seem to center their life on Jesus. 
And so as, as we mature, there should, there should be an increased zeal about spiritual things, okay? Because there can be a kind of spiritual lethargy that slides into apostasy. That's what's so frightening about this, because rarely does apostasy work. You just wake up one morning, I hate God's people, I hate church, I'm no longer going to read my Bible. No, it's life happened. I entered a stressful season. My job got busy. I formed a new relationship. Until just, you know, slow step after step, you drift. You fall away. And so as we look at these marks of maturity, it it should be both encouraging and challenging. So, I mean, so many of you show aspects of all of these fruits. And so you should be encouraged by that. And also for all of us, we should be looking at each one of these things, you know, thirsting for God's word, presence with God's people, spiritual zealousness. Be like, wow, okay, I really need to grow here. Okay, so number three, uh, now that we've looked at the marks of maturity, why does maturity really matter? Okay, and so here we get to the the warning passage in chapter six, uh, verses four through six. So why does this really matter? Uh, Because he says, beginning in verse four of chapter six, for it is impossible. So here's why it matters that you mature. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Okay, so this is sharp language, uh, but we got, we got to look at it. Okay, and it, it's going to be, you're probably going to want to maybe think of other people. I want to encourage all of us to think of ourselves as we look at this passage. Okay, so it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. Uh, those who've been enlightened are those who actually, they hear the gospel, they hear the message of God's word, and respond positively is what that means. Like, yes, I want that. That's what it means to be enlightened. Who have tasted the heavenly gift. Okay, so this could either mean tasting communion, right, like the, the bread that we uh, eat of, you know, together each Sunday, or it could just mean, you know, tasting, like, the gifts of being in the church, like all the amazing things that, that happen as being part of the people of God. It could mean one or the other or both. I think it, it does mean both. Um, number three, who have shared in the Holy Spirit. Uh, so you're, you're in the church, right? You're experiencing the Holy Spirit changing people's lives around you, and even in a, in a mysterious way, there can be a spiritual giftedness about you, even if you're not a believer. And we see a number of examples. One of these we saw when we walked through Samuel last year, we saw it with Saul, where he prophesied in God's name. Like the Holy Spirit actually worked through him, but then Saul ended up rejecting God at the end of his life. Okay, so sharing in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. So you're, you're singing God's word. You have the privilege of hearing God's word, you know, spoken to you by friends, you know, hearing it from the people leading the worship service. And then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. So what's the point here? Okay, those who have, like, initially received the gospel as good news, tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, what does it sound like? It sounds like a believer. So the, the essence here is, Here's what he's saying, is you can look like a believer to other people. You can feel like a believer to yourself and yet fall away. And in case you think this is just the author of Hebrews having a bad day, it's not because Jesus says the same thing. 
when he gives the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 13. And see, we often think of two responses to God's word, right? One is you hear it, and then you just say, nope, no thanks, that's not for me. And Jesus says that's the, the seed of God's word that falls on the hard path and it bounces off, falls away. Or you think those who they, they hear God's word, they're like, yes, I want that, right? That's the good soil that Jesus talks about in this parable. But Jesus gives a third category. And the category he gives is seed that falls on rocky soil that's shallow or thorny soil. And in both of those cases, there's an initial sprouting up of the plant, and it lives for a while. Until what? Until the cares of life come in? Until the allures of other desires come in? Until suffering comes? And then the plant gets choked out. I.e., there can be a type of receptivity to God's word where if you're walking along the path and you see the plant coming out of the shallow soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil, all the plants look the same for a while. But as time goes on, it's only the good soil that remains. So there is a type of receptivity where you actually receive it with joy for a while. Okay, so like Jesus talks about this, and um, one of the clearest examples we see of this in the scriptures is, is who? Is Judas. Okay, for, for those of you who have read the, the story, it can be so familiar with you that, so familiar to you that we often miss that for the disciples, it was shocking that Judas was an apostate, right? Like there, you know, when Jesus asks, you know, when he brings up that somebody's going to betray him, everyone's like, who's going to do it? Because when you see Judas, I mean, Judas was with Jesus, just like all the, the other disciples. And then even the Holy Spirit worked through Judas. Like, you, uh, someone once said that as Judas goes out, you know, he casts out demons with the other disciples. Nowhere do you see that a demon, you know, Judas, like, rebukes the demon. And the demon's like, I know you to be a false one. I'm not going to listen to you. No, like, J Judas cast out demons along with other people. But it wasn't until the end that he fell away. It's so you can look and feel just like a believer, and yet it's a false profession. Okay, so what do we do with this? Um, you can ask a couple, couple questions. One is, can you lose your salvation? Right, if God calls you, justifies you, i.e. he forgives you, can you fall away? And the answer is no. Okay, Jesus says in John chapter 6, I will not lose anyone the Father gives me. Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, those whom God calls, he also, he also justifies. And those whom he justifies, he also glorifies. So if God calls you, right, and you receive that call, he and then he, there's no, like, I call you, justify you, but then maybe you'll make it, maybe not. And so then how do we make sense of all this? And, so if you're walking as a believer, if you know someone who's walking a believer, and then you fall away, does that mean you were a genuine believer and then you fell away? No. What it means is that that profession of faith in the beginning wasn't authentic to begin with. Right? And so what we see here is really the main mark of assurance that you belong to God is perseverance. That's how you know you belong to God. Right, and here I'm just, we're, we're using scriptural categories, right? Nowhere in scripture do you see that, you know, if you have a lot of understanding of the Bible, that means, like, you know, you're, you're guaranteed to belong to God. We can't use categories like, even like, I had this amazing spiritual experience, 
where I feel like this was the moment I'm converted. Now, that can be a good thing. But again, we're, we're keeping to the categories of Scripture because there are a lot of people in Scripture who had these amazing spiritual experiences, either with Jesus or later on in the New Testament or in the Old Testament people of Israel, and then fell away, right? It can't be a mountaintop experience. It can't be how many people that you've led, uh, led to Christ. It can't be even miracles that have happened to you. No, the main marker that you belong to God, that you can have assurance, is perseverance. Okay, and so this is why as a church family, you know, to, to the outside world, or maybe to some of you here, like, it may seem a little bit intense that we care about how one another are doing spiritually. But, you know, if, if we're following Christ, it's a sign that we don't really care about one another. If we're not really caring about that we help each other persevere and take this seriously. So we, we should want other people, you know, we should humbly open ourselves up to self-examination by ourselves and by others. But also, this may sound weird, but it should also be an encouragement, because especially for those of you who do, and there are so many of you here, who walk by faith, but you're constantly riddled with doubts. If you are still walking with Christ, that is the sign of assurance that you can have, that you belong to Him. And so the call is just keep walking. Keep walking, right? Because if you're still walking with Jesus next year, two years from now, like, that's the sign that you, that you have with respect to assurance. And so some reflections here. Uh, first, for those of you who don't follow Jesus, and then those of you who, who do follow Jesus. Uh, those of you who, who don't follow Jesus, this may sound odd to say, but um, I hope in a way that you're glad that you're hearing this passage. Because here's what I mean. But sometimes there can be this bait and switch that happens in churches. Where it's just like, oh, just follow Jesus. Everything's going to be awesome. And then you start following Jesus, and it's not awesome. And, you know, I mean, Jesus himself was, you could say, like, the, the worst salesman ever. Because he constantly made it so clear. Like, people were super excited to follow him. And he's like, I just have to tell you, things may get really hard. Okay, and so just know, like, we, we don't shy away here from saying what Jesus said, which things may still be really hard in your life if you follow Jesus. Okay, and so we want, and th- this shows, right, that there will often be, like, incredible perseverance and endurance that's required. But the good news is, is this is perseverance not by grit. This isn't John waning yourself to Christ. It's perseverance by grace, right? And see the language of tasting, tasting the heavenly gift. There is no one or anything more beautiful and precious than Jesus. Okay, so just hopefully a, something, hopefully helpful for those of you who are, are exploring the faith. And th- for those of you who are believers, um, I hope this is challenging. I hope this is challenging and maybe serves hopefully as a life altering moment for some of you here, right? Some things that you know are pulling you away from Jesus, okay, and to turn in repentance and run to him, okay? And related to that, like, we have to ask the question, because for those of you who, and I've been through so many, like, what if you're in a dry spell right now, and you're just like, I don't feel like following God. I don't sense God's presence when I read the Bible. There are these other things that seem so much more exciting to me than Jesus, Like, is there hope for you? And the answer is, yes, there's hope for you. Because there's a difference between spiritual regression, which is like a dry spell that often God can use for greater maturity, and full-blown spiritual apostasy. And we know this because we see an example of it in Scripture. And so we mentioned Judas a little while ago. There was someone else alongside Judas who for a while, his story was completely parallel with Judas. Who was that? It was Peter. 
that on the night that Jesus was betrayed and crucified, both men were in tears because both men denied and betrayed Jesus. But the difference was Judas's tears, they were tears of self-pity. They were, he didn't really want Jesus as Lord over his life, right? It was, it was more tears of like, I can't believe I let myself down. I can't believe I sold out a really good man for, was it 30, however many shekels of silver. And he, he killed himself. Right, so both men were in tears, but they had completely different destinations. And what was the difference? After Peter was on the floor weeping, he returned back to God's people. You can see this in, 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 um, in John 21. He went back to God's people, okay, and it had to have been because he saw the matchless mercy of Christ throughout his ministry. He saw that maybe somehow there's a way for me to be restored. And he, he went back to God's people, right, service to God's people like we saw, and then through God's people, he saw Jesus again. And when he met Jesus, and Jesus essentially told Peter, you know, if you plunge yourself into my grace, that is what is going to make you one of the greatest leaders the church has ever seen. And so for Peter, what propelled him from being one of the greatest deniers to one of the greatest leaders in the, in the Christian church was he saw that what makes life so precious is that while he became lethargic to Jesus, he had a friend, a brother, and a king who never became lethargic in his commitment to Peter. And that moved Peter for the rest of his life. And so the, the call for you here today is to run to the same Jesus, to receive mercy and grace to help in time of need, and he promises you that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion at the day he returns. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you will use this passage to convict where you need to and encourage where you need to, God. Um, for those of us who are in process or on the edge of walking away, um, I pray that they will return to you, uh, that they will run to you, God. Um, and for all of us here, Lord, I would love to see every single person in this room uh, make it to the end. And so help us to be a community that thirsts for your word, who loves being with one another, um, who is earnest about spiritual things, and ultimately may our confidence rest in Christ and his commitment to us, not our commitment to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.